Well, hi. Good morning, Mission View. That's how people say it usually. Uh, I wasn't supposed to, uh, to preach this morning. It was supposed to be Evan Miller. And uh, I asked him if he wanted to give, if he wanted me to give an update on kind of his situation. Um, he said, yeah, if you want, you can say something like, uh, doctors and nurses are still monitoring baby Lydia. Uh, so Jamie had her baby on Wednesday, I think, and there were some, some issues and said, uh, Lydia's still, uh, they're monitoring her breathing and she's still in the NICU, but she's making steady progress. So tell everyone thanks for their texts and prayers. They appreciate it. So um, let's, uh, I want to go ahead and pray for uh, Evan right now uh, and, the, and their family. God, thanks for Evan and Jamie and baby Lydia and the fact that she is here and she's with us. Um, I pray that uh, you would uh, allow all these complications with their breathing to go away. Um, we know it's not terribly uncommon for there to be uh, issues that arrive right after uh, a baby is born, but we, we pray that uh, you would sweep them aside and allow them to, uh, to bring Lydia home uh, happy, healthy, and that uh, you'd be with, uh, with, with their whole family and uh, make yourself known as God over that situation. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this summer at Mission View, we're being kind of introspective, so we're looking at uh, things uh, that we need to do as a church, things that we need to know as a church. Uh, we finished up a series called uh, Family Life, and uh, this is good. We're kind of establishing home base here. Uh, we finished up a series on family life about relationships between parents and children and wives and husbands and employers and employees and things like that. And now we're in a series called Vital Signs, where we look at key components of the church and things that we need to know about being the people of God. Uh, and we've been uh, walking through the book of Philippians. And so anytime you want to study the church, it's great to look at, at Paul's letters because they're letters to churches. So Philippians is to the church at Philippi. And there already we have a good, a good springboard for uh, taking the application and the transferable principles of what he tells to the church at Philippi and talking about them here at Mission View. Um, so hopefully let's look through and see what, uh, what application we can apply to us. If I was to associate this book with one word, it would be joy. Uh, the word joy occurs, or words like joy and rejoice occur about 14 times in just four chapters. And so sometimes it's helpful for me if I want to get a, a broad spectrum, a big scope of, of scripture to kind of associate certain books with certain words. And Philippians is all about joy. But uh, a second kind of theme that Paul brings out is this attitude of one mind. And there's a Greek word that's, that uh, is pronounced phroneo, or transliterated phroneo. Uh, everybody say it, phroneo. phroneo. One more time, phroneo. phroneo. And it means one mind or having a one-mindedness. And we've seen this word, these, both of these words come into play already. In chapter 1, uh, verses 27 to 29, it says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you and see that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We see that uh, the importance of being of one mind in the midst of suffering. Last week, uh, Josh Chandler brought the message and he talked about being of the same mind with regard to caring for the interests of others. We saw that in uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
And we've been talking a little bit about humility in general, the importance of humility. We're going to expand on that topic today, uh, specifically Christ's humility. And just by looking at these themes of joy and one mind, uh, if that's all we knew about Philippians, we can start to get a heart, uh, an idea of Paul's heart for the church at Philippi and of God's heart for us. Just from those, those, those two, uh, two words. So go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Like I said, humility is our, our topic for today, specifically Christ's humility, which is weird because if I think about joy and of being of one mind, humility doesn't seem to fit in those themes. Um, I, was, I was an all-star track athlete. I uh, ran the sprints and I was really good. Actually, I was okay in like seventh, this is in middle school, by the way. I was okay, I was okay in seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, I got really good. So I was probably the fastest kid on the team. I remember one time I challenged the hurdlers to a race and I beat the hurdlers and I didn't even do hurdles. It was awesome. If you go to Hudson Middle School, uh, right by the locker rooms, if you're ever up that way, uh, right by the locker rooms, there is a, um, a big plaque, you know, and our four by 100 relay team got second place. Uh, we got the second best school record. So we were pretty good. I don't know why you're not applauding. As, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but then when I, I got into uh, high school, I started running track, and one of the first days of, of our, uh, you know, our conditioning and our running, I tore my hip flexor, so I had to stop, and I couldn't, uh, sometimes it still hurts me. Nobody's upset about that. <laughs> sometimes it still upsets me. Anyway, so the, uh, it, it was a very humbling experience that I was like, I was like ready to run with the, you know, the varsity guys and, and all that stuff. And then uh, I tore my hip flexor so I couldn't run. And so it was a humbling experience, but in no way at all that I receive any joy from that. So it's weird to think that humility and joy are even linked in any way. So, uh, but that's the direction that Paul is heading in chapter two. Even the whole subsection of, uh, of my Bible is titled, Christ's Example of Humility. So what we're going to do is look at three things as they relate to humility. That's what I like to do. I like to pick kind of three big, uh, three big questions. The first is, what are we called to do? What are we called to do? The second is, what is the example? And then third is, what is the result? What are we called to do? What is the example? What is the result? And we're going to use these to uh, kind of guide us through this passage of Scripture. And then hopefully at the end, we'll have some application to pick out. Sound good? Awesome. All right, hey, let me pray first. God, thanks for who you are. You are good and you love us. Uh, you are faithful to us when we are not good and loving and faithful. Um, I pray that uh, we would have an attitude of humility just as we come to your word this morning uh, and that we would uh, learn more about who you are, learn more about who Christ is and what he's done for us so that we can now have a right relationship with you. I pray that you would uh, grant us those things this morning. Let me pick up uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, and I, I'm going to reread a little bit of what uh, Josh read because I think this is all kind of one, uh, one train of thought that Paul is uh, talking about here. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, or it could also be translated, since there is encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, there's the word joy, by being of the same mind or same attitude, same united front and goals that we're pursuing, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then we're starting in verse 5. Have this mind, or one mind, phreneo, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What are we called to do? That's my, my first question. What are we called to do? It's very straightforward. This is the command. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind. What are we called to do? Be of one mind with regard to what he's talking about humility. Remember, this is one train of thought. Before this, uh, in verses 1 through 4, it was, uh, as Josh reminded us last week, it was very horizontal. It's a lot about our earthly relationships, our relationships to one another, how we're supposed to treat one another. Look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But now, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or it could also be translated, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so now we see that this idea of one-mindedness doesn't just restrict itself to being horizontal, but it includes God and it includes this vertical relationship. So he sort of switches his, uh, his point here. We are to be one-minded in humility with Christ. We're to join in the humility of Christ. We're to achieve humility by Christ. We want a one-mindedness that is entirely Christ-focused and a Christ-centered worldview is absolutely vital in our lives. And here's why I bring that up. I emphasize Christ because I don't want ever anyone to walk out of the church or Mission View or any church with the attitude of, oh, Mission View, they just want to be good people. They just want to be moral people. They want to be humble people. Those are all true and those are great things. But if they miss the fact that we want to be of one mind with Christ and in Christ, then they're missing the absolute core of who we are as a church. We want to be those things, but we want to be Christian people. We want to be biblical people. We want to submit ourselves to the living and written word of God. Colossians 1.18 says this, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. And so we don't want to just have a horizontal one-mindedness amongst ourselves. That is good, but we don't want to just have that. Because if we do and we neglect Christ, we neglect the vertical, then this becomes dangerous. This is what causes churches and individuals to go astray. These are the churches that you see on the news who seem to all be almost successfully pursuing some sort of goal or some sort of methodology or ideology, and it's totally not based in Scripture. They hold on to principles and ethics which have no biblical foundation. And so what we want is a one-mindedness one pursuit, one goal, one attitude that is shared with Christ Jesus. Being a staff member here, I'm really encouraged by the fact that I think Mission View does have this. So despite all of our faults and our failures as staff members, as a church, uh, in, in the youth ministry that I participate in, uh, I can assure you that as a church, we strive for one-mindedness with Christ. And humility is the talking point here, but it really could be anything. We need to be of one mind with Christ and with each other with regard to finances, with regard to marriage, with regard to parenting. Here's a big one, with regard to sexuality. And really the way that that happens is we submit entirely to God and to his 
word. If we want to be of one mind with God, then we can look at what God says. We need to develop a Bible-based, Christ-focused worldview with regard to everything. Everything has to do with Christ. I, uh, I took a class at Moody um, about developing a Christ-centered worldview, and I think I did this little exercise with you guys probably, it was probably like a year ago. But we would come into class, and on the, uh, on the chalkboard, there would be written a few questions. And the first one was something like this. What is, uh, what did you eat today? And then this, we all thought about it. Okay, this morning I, this morning I went to McDonald's, <laughs> and I had a sweet tea and two hash browns, so it could have been worse. Uh, but I had that this morning. Uh, and then the second question is, what is your favorite kind of food? And you know, I was thinking, okay, I like Southern style barbecue. So Mission Barbecue is my favorite restaurant currently. And then the third question was, what kind of food is best? And we were all, I don't know, what does that mean? Healthy food, I guess, green stuff. I don't know, we all like busted out those old like, pyramids, you know, nutritional value pyramids. And the idea of the exercise was to see if anyone at any point in, these, in this conversation included anything about God and his word. And it was interesting, at, at the beginning of, uh, of the semester, nobody did. We didn't think about that at all. But our professor encouraged us, he said, if you're Christian people, if you're believers, then why do you not consult God on things as simple or as normal and everyday as food? If you just think about food and where food appears in Scripture, uh, God has tons of stuff to say about food. Think about uh, the fall of mankind and reaching for forbidden fruit. Food is introduced in the first couple chapters of of Scripture. If you think about uh, in the New Testament, Jesus declaring all foods clean and referring that to the Old Testament, how Israel had all these parameters about what they could and could not eat. Think about uh, the fact that Christ, when he was resurrected, he appeared before his disciples and he asked them for food. Think about the fact that uh, Christ is the bread of life. Think about the fact that Paul talks about whether you eat or drink, do so for the glory of God. The scripture has all sorts of things to say about food. Not just food, but, but art and, and politics. And what we want to do is be of one mind with God and have a Christ-centered, Bible-based worldview about everything. Everything has to do with Christ. So what are we called to do? Look at humility, or you could insert any word in there, with the same mind as Christ, phreneo, same mind. Second question, what is the example? Moving on. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This section in in, uh, Philippians chapter two is sometimes known as the Christ hymn. And really what's happening is Paul is giving an example of the humility that he talked about in the first four verses. But it's hard to just leave it at that because he gives an incredible, uh, an incredible several verses on the humility of Christ, and uh, we learn a lot of things here. So let's start in the beginning. 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Don't get caught up on the word form here. It does not mean appearance as if Jesus sometimes appeared to be God. Rather, it means the nature or essence or character of God. So Jesus, though he was in the nature, essence, character of God. And so already we're getting to, uh, into some very rich things about Christ. I was on a, a plane coming home from Mexico with the students um, a week or so ago. And uh, one of the students was sitting by themselves, like kind of away from the group on the plane. So I traded seats with him. Uh, and I ended up sitting next to a Jehovah's Witness for a couple hours. And I said to her, I was like, I don't want to debate with you. I just want to hear from you. I want to hear the things that you believe. And then, you know, I can maybe tell you some of what I believe. And, uh, and then we'll leave it at that. And so it was very interesting. So she got to talking. And the very first thing she said was that uh, God was not Trinity and that Christ was created by God. And I think... She missed a passage like this. Though he was in the form of God, though he had the same nature, essence, character of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The fact is that God has ex existed from eternity past as one God, yet in three persons. One essence, God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and this is a word for Jesus or logos in, the, in Greek. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet, as fully God, Christ was still his own person, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have all eternally existed as three persons with one essence, God. And this is Trinity, a core piece of doctrine that we need to believe and understand well, not necessarily understand as much so as believe as Christians. And I bring that up because I think it's an important distinction to make here. And moving on, it says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He emptied himself, and that's a great picture, that this eternal God, the creator and king overall, became a servant being born in the likeness of men. And we call this the incarnation or in, incarnate, meaning in the flesh. And really, this is what makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Because if you think about every other religion there, in some ways, you earning your way to God, you, you moving up, you trying to get to God by being a good enough parent, a good enough employee, following the rules, making people happy. But what makes Christianity different is God kneels. And it wasn't just that God came to earth. It, it goes further. Let me, let me say this. He came as a baby, not as an adult man. Born in a manger. His mother didn't even have privacy when, he was, uh, when she was giving birth. There were ox and ass feeding, as the song goes. His father was a carpenter. It wasn't even like a a prominent businessman or anything like that. Father was a carpenter. He was criticized, betrayed, abandoned, beaten, mocked, spit on, stripped, pierced, bloodied, broken, and ultimately executed in his 30s. It doesn't sound like God. If you were to make up a God right now, this isn't what it would sound like. Scripture calls him a suffering servant and a man of sorrows. Eventually, people would say about him, isn't this 
when he began his public ministry. Isn't this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary? Later in his ministry, people would criticize his followers, saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And ultimately, Paul says next in Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And if you think about why, all of this has to do with Jesus' public affirming of his deity. And even the, even the Jews understood that, which is why he was crucified. He repeatedly affirmed this. They understood his claims without a doubt. And by assuming this role of humanity, though, he refrained from the use of his deity as something for his own personal advantage. Last night, I had a conversation with uh, my wife and my brother-in-law and my friend who's visiting from Chicago. And we were talking about what does, it, what does it mean exactly for Christ to empty himself? And I think there are, uh, people have all sorts of different views. I don't think scripture adequately explains it all out for us. Because on one side, I think about uh, the miracles that Jesus, uh, that Jesus uh, did and, and, and turning water into wine and, and walking on water and all of these things. And I say, yeah, he was... He was fully God. He was, he was God. He didn't seem to set aside his, his deity at all. But then on the other side, I think about the fact that he was crucified. I think about the shortest English verse in Scripture, which is Jesus wept. One thing that's, uh, that's interesting is he, uh, had, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus died, and uh, Jesus uh, raises him from the dead, but before he does that, what does he do? He cries. He weeps over his friends. Over his friends. So he, we see the whole range of, of human emotion and, and real legitimate suffering, and we also see the godness of Jesus. And so we wonder some things about, uh, about how exactly he emptied himself. But one thing I know for sure is that he was fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And this exactly is what uh, able, enabled him to ultimately pay the necessary price for our sins. When he resurrected and showed himself to his disciples, Thomas put his finger in his side and said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And so Christ can fully heal the human condition because of this incarnation. He heals what he assumes. So what Paul began as just an illustration of the humility of Christ is really a beautiful and heartbreaking recounting of the entire gospel message. That the creator king became bloodied to make us clean and there's no greater example of humility. But it's not just some dramatic picture. Christ isn't just a moral example for us to follow, but a savior. And so when we finally accept our sinfulness and our filthiness and put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, everything changes. And now what happens is we, we, we repent. We turn from, from our sin and our sinful ways and we become new creations. And now we have one mind with him. Look at, uh, look at Colossians chapter 3. It says this. If then, or since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put the old self, put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, what is that? Verse uh, two or three. Set your minds on things that are above. Anyone can guess what word in Greek that is there? Phreneo. It's the same word. Have one mind on things that are above, not on earth. For you have died, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Now we have one mind. That's the example. Christ is the example. And then finally, what is the result? What is the, what is the result? Moving on. In verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Josh said last week, whenever you come across a therefore in scripture, you can ask what is the therefore, therefore, uh, which is a great trick. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Why? Because of this humble act of Christ, because of Christ's humility, God has exalted him. To the point where every single being will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, just like Thomas did when he put his finger in his side. Every single being, willingly or unwillingly, all will bow before Jesus because it's all for God's glory. All right, what does that, what does that mean for us? What is the result? The result is glory. Isn't it great that if you look all throughout Scripture, we share in the reward that God gives to Christ? We become co-heirs of the kingdom. We receive glorified bodies just like Jesus. All because of his work, we share and reap the benefits of that reward. Even in, uh, in that Colossians verse that I just read, it said, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's more. Um, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And I don't know how it works, but I think scripture is uh, pretty adamant on the fact that there are eternal rewards for those who express humility today and in this life, which is weird because we don't think that. We, we generally think that we want an instant payout for our humility. We want someone to acknowledge it maybe, uh, when we are humble or we have kind of a, a self-gratifying feeling when we have the opportunity to be proud and we don't take hold of it. So we kind of think usually with humility that there's going to be some sort of instant payout or, or instant reward, but really what happens is that humility puts, puts something in the bank for us in heaven. God promises to exalt the lowly all the time. Think about what, uh, what is, uh, Jesus said, the first shall be last. Blessed are the humble in spirit. God repeatedly exalts the lowly. And so what we need to do 
is humble ourselves. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And that might sound all, all, all good, but what do we do with this? So here's our, here's our application that we should talk about. First, be part of a Bible-based, Christ-centered church. Be part of a Bible-based, Christ-centered church. If you are wondering, you know, maybe you're visiting Mission View or you're, or you're new to the area and you're, you're visiting churches or you have a friend who cares about visiting churches, um, almost never is this the first thing that they say about the church that they're visiting. And it needs to be. And I'm not saying that, that worship or, or the pastor is not important, but the thing that we need to know about a church that we attend is that it is based on Scripture and that it is focused on Christ. Second, put God's Word above your Word. Emphasize Scripture. I think that the opposite of humility is pride, and I think pride is merely putting what you think and what you say above what God thinks and what God says. That's what pride is. And a way to counter that is to put God's word above your word. So regardless of what you feel about a particular topic that's addressed in Scripture, if Scripture is clear on it, then that is what you need to follow, which sounds very straightforward. Third, develop a Christian worldview. Make everything about Christ all the time. And this takes practice. You have, you have to want to try to do it. Uh, but eventually it becomes easier for you to make everything about Christ, whether it's food or art or politics. Number four, humble yourself. This is kind of similar to number two. But I think it's interesting the way that it's, it's written repeatedly in Scripture. Humble yourselves before the Lord. I, uh, I heard a, a pastor in Chicago one time who said, it's similar to exercise. I cannot wake up one morning or, or, or be sitting around one day and say, man, I feel exercised. You cannot suddenly say, I feel humbled for no reason. It is something that requires action. Humble yourself. In order to feel exercised, you have to do what? Exercise yourself. In order to be humble, you have to humble yourself. Number five, know the difference between humility and humiliation. Um, this is something that I think a lot of uh, students um, and young people can, can get wrong. Uh, if you look through scripture, you see Christ being humble, but you never see him uh, putting himself down. You never see him say, oh, I am just the worst. <laughs> but we, we think that, don't we? We think, oh, if we're going to be humble, then I should probably put myself down, take myself down a couple notches. Know the difference between humility and humiliation. Number six, understand the role of obedience. I have this, I have this theory uh, that there's a lot of things, a lot of characteristics that we take care of here in our hearts. And I actually, I would say that this is, is one of them. But I think more important and an easier way to go about humility is to merely look at scripture, merely look at obedience, because it says uh, in chapter two, verse uh, eight, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you want humility, if you want to experience humility, then you need to experience obedience to God's word. You can't just will yourself all the time to be humble, 
Uh, there's a quote, I'm going to paraphrase it. I think it's by Benjamin Franklin. And he said, uh, I will never uh, say that I have achieved humility because I would immediately become proud that I had done so. You can't will yourself in your heart to be humble, but you can, you can just follow God's word. Which is, I think, something that Christ modeled for us. Number seven, exalt God at every opportunity. Seek out moments and places where you see God working. Give God glory for every good thing that goes on in your life. Uh, and it's very simplest form. I see this with students sometimes where if they're an athlete, they'll say, yeah, I, I played really hard out there and it was for the glory of God. Don't, don't just leave it there. Every single good thing that goes on in your life, praise God for. Number eight, understand that glory is an eternal reward and we may not see it now. Um, it requires some patience, I guess. Understand that glory is an eternal reward and we may not see it now. And I didn't actually put this on the, on the PowerPoint, but I was thinking another one could be get baptized. Get baptized. If you have put, uh, you have saving faith in Christ, then get baptized because it's something that we're called to do and commanded to do. And sometimes it can be a little humbling. If you're, if you're nervous about, about getting baptized, I don't know why, you're, maybe you're nervous about uh, being in front of people or you're nervous about getting dunked or you're, uh, you're just nervous about what family and friends and people might say, you need to get baptized anyway. Um, you need to humble yourself. So get baptized. These are just some things that we can see uh, in the example of Christ's humility. We need to be of one mind with regard to humility or anything else with each other and with God because he is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. All right, let me pray. God, thank you for the example of Christ. I pray that uh, we would not just leave that as an example, we would not just leave Christ as, a, as an example or a good guy to follow, but we would acknowledge Christ as fully God and fully man, able to be Savior, save us from our sinful selves. I pray that we would see him as creator, king, who bloodied himself, broke himself, ultimately died, but that the story doesn't end there. And he was raised so that now he can be glorified and we can be glorified and be with you forever. I pray that we would be reminded of that, that we would be humble, that we would keep pride from us, that we would acknowledge your word as your will, that we would see and understand what it is you have to say, and that we would have boldness as we encounter uh, opposition in this life. And God, we look forward to the day where uh, you are glorified and we are glorified with you um, because you have exalted us for our humility here on earth. Pray all this in Jesus' name.